Hey, welcome back to the South Stands, a Buckeye football podcast by Ohio State fans for Ohio State fans from the West Coast. I'm your host, Zach Moore. Today is Sunday, November 12th, 2023. And I'm here with a few thoughts from number one Ohio State's impressive 38-3 drubbing of Michigan State in the horseshoe last night. I would call this an eye test game for the Buckeyes. Because, you know, we know what Michigan State is. It's been a rough season for the Spartans. We know they weren't going to pose any kind of real threat to the Buckeyes last night. But, you know, did the the Buckeyes look the part against an inferior opponent? I think we can say emphatically the answer is yes. And the Buckeyes made quick work of the Spartans, had almost all their key starters on the bench by the middle of the third quarter. That is exactly how I, how Chad and I drew it up in the in our pregame pod. My score prediction for this game was Ohio State 42 to 9, so not too far off the final score 38 to 3, though. I think I was entirely too generous to the Michigan State offense with that prediction. Now I said in our preview pod, play to your standard Ohio State. Get your starters out of the game as quickly as you can and avoid injuries. Mission accomplished. Now, the Ohio State offense came out of the gates humming, scoring touchdowns on five of their first six possessions. They took a 35-3 lead into the half. In just about three quarters of work, Kyle McCord finished the night with a career-high 24 of 31 for 335 yards passing and three touchdown passes. He was not sacked. He was barely touched all night, in fact. I thought the offensive line did a great job of protecting him against a pretty respectable Michigan State pass rush that came into the night 24th nationally in quarterback sacks. McCord did not turn the ball over. I thought he looked about as comfortable at the controls last night as he has at any point this season. McCord's first touchdown pass to Marvin Harrison Jr. from 26 yards out in the right corner of the end zone. It was the kind of throw that C.J. Stroud used to make. Now, he also had an 18-yarder to Cade Stover on a back shoulder throw that I thought was actually pretty well defended. And then finally, McCord hit Marvin Harrison Jr. from 57 yards out to start the third quarter on a throw that easily traveled 50 yards in the air. Look, those were all NFL throws. So I continue to be impressed by Kyle McCord. I issued a pretty, you know, a pretty emphatic defense of McCord last week in my postgame pod. I just think he's played well this year. He's, he's been impressive under some tough circumstances, having his skilled players in and out, having an offensive line that's needed most of the season to gel, uh, himself dealing with a little bit of an injury with his ankle. So uh, McCord, very impressive last night, albeit against an overmatched opponent in Michigan State. But look, he was great. He was ripping throws all night, very accurate, 24 of 31. So great performance by McCord. It's exactly what you want to see at this stage of the of the season. Uh, McCord starting to reach his ceiling, we think, um, as as a thrower. And what can you say about Marvin Harrison Jr.? In just over two quarters of play last night, he finished with seven receptions on nine targets for 149 yards and two touchdown receptions. He also scored in a 19-yard reverse, which was a nifty play designed by Ryan Day. That was on Ohio State's first possession of the game. And by the way, that was the first rushing touchdown of Marvin Harrison Jr.'s career. Now, Ryan Day wisely pulled Harrison Jr. from the game along with the rest of the Buckeyes' first-team skilled players after the first possession of the third quarter. And with last night's performance, Harrison Jr. becomes the first Ohio State receiver in program history with two 1,000-yard receiving seasons. Harrison finished the 2022 season with 1,263 yards receiving. He was he now has 1,063 
receiving yards this year with two regular season games still to play. And according to DraftKings, Harrison Jr. has the third best odds to win the Heisman Trophy at plus 450 behind Bo Nix of Oregon and Michael Penix Jr. of Washington. Now, his performance in two weeks against Michigan will likely determine whether he has any real chance of winning what is really a quarterback award. But a big game against the Wolverines will all but guarantee him at least an invite to New York. So that is a storyline to watch now as we move here over these last two weeks of the regular season. It was good to see Kate Stover back in the lineup after a one-week absence making an impact in this game. Stover did not play last week at Rutgers, and while he was on the field the week before against Wisconsin, he was not targeted in that game. Stover is clearly still dealing with a knee injury of some kind. He's wearing a very bulky brace on his right knee, but last night didn't seem to bother him. He caught all seven of his targets for 79 yards and a touchdown. Stover is now first among tight ends in the Big Ten in receiving yards with 508. And earlier this week, he was named one of nine semifinalists for the John Mackey Award, which goes to the country's top tight end. And I actually think he has a pretty good shot to win that. He'll need to close strong with good performances against Minnesota next Saturday in Michigan on November 25th to do it. But I think he's got a real shot. Now, Trey Henderson got his work in early last night, 13 carries for 63 yards and a touchdown. Then Ryan Day wisely got him out of the game. Henderson did not play in the second half. And, you know, I thought his night played out exactly as I had hoped. I also continue to love what Ryan Day is doing with Xavier Johnson in the run game. Four carries for 40 yards. Johnson also caught a 31-yard pass on a wheel route in the first half. I love what the Buckeyes have right now in the run game with Henderson playing at his ceiling as your home run hitter and lead back. Chip Trainum, the veteran who's willing to do all the dirty work, but is a very capable runner when his number is called. And then you have a sprinkling of Xavier Johnson on jet sweeps and reverses, who also gives you a little something in the slot as a receiver. <laughs> it took us most of the season to get here. But this is now a very healthy rushing attack that complements the passing game, which is the tip of the spear for this offense, as we know. But now the passing game doesn't have to carry the load as the offense, you know, to be the entire offense. So I love what we're seeing with the run game now. And it, it's all coming together at just the right time for the Buckeyes. Now, the final piece I think that needs to fall into place for this offense is Emeka Buka, who still appears to be working his way back from an ankle injury uh, that he sustained against Maryland. Only one catch for 12 yards on four targets for Ibuka last night, but uh, that was only in two quarters of action. Now, Ibuka was uh, pulled along with the starters in the third quarter, and at one point in the first half, he left the game briefly limping slightly on that ankle. Uh, he's in a bit of a tough spot, you know, wanting to shake off the rust and get his timing back. So he's going to need some playing time, but that ankle still appears to be bothering him a little bit. You know, look, the Buckeyes are going to need him in two weeks against the country's number one pass defense in Michigan. I'm really hopeful he can, you know, get somewhere close to 80 to 90% uh, for that game against Michigan. Now, the defense was uh, shorthanded again last night. No Lathan Ransom, who appears to be done for the season. He was on the sideline in a walking boot using a scooter to move around. Ryan Day said in the postgame about you know Ransom's injury that it is, quote, longer term. It's like, no shit, Sherlock. 
I would assume Ransom's 2023 season is over. And it's a damn shame. It's, he was having an all Big Ten season before he got hurt. You know, the Buckeyes were also without Tommy Eichenberg, who's dealing with what we think is an arm injury of some kind. They were also down Josh Proctor. He did not play yesterday. And I'm guessing he did not clear concussion protocol after the hit that he took last week against Rutgers. Uh, Ryan Day said in the postgame that he expects Eichenberg and Proctor to be back, I think, next week. So Sonny Styles slid into the bandit role for Ransom, and I thought he played really well yesterday. Styles finished the night with a sack and a solid PFF grade of 72.4. True freshman Malik Hartford stepped in for Proctor as the adjuster last night. He was pretty solid. Hartford finished the night tied with Cody Simon in snaps, played with 49. He had four tackles and a decent PFF grade of 64.6. And most importantly, he did not make any mistakes on the back end that might have allowed a cheap score for Michigan State. Now, Cody Simon stepped in for Tommy Eichenberg and finished the night tied with Davison Igbenosen as Ohio State's leading tackler with five. But his PFF grade was awful. Uh, Simon finished with the defense's second worst PFF grade of 51.2. I think the PFF grades are still being tabulated, but as of right now, 51.2, that's the second worst uh, overall grade for Ohio State defenders yesterday. And his grade of 35.1 for rush defense was the worst on the team. And I thought early in the game, it looked like Simon and Steele Chambers were out of position several times and that allowed Michigan State tailback Nathan Carter to pop a couple of healthy runs, including a 27-yarder. And Michigan State came into last night ranked in the 100s in rushing offense. They are not a good rushing team. And last week, we know the Buckeyes allowed 232 yards rushing to Rutgers. We remember back in September, Notre Dame also had some success running the football against the Buckeyes, especially in the second half. The Buckeyes are going to need a healthy Tommy Eichenberg back for Michigan, period, full stop. It's going to be an all-hands-on-deck kind of an effort from the Buckeye defense against the running threat of Blake Corum, Donovan Edwards, and J.J. McCarthy on November 25th. Michigan will almost assuredly attempt to beat the Buckeyes in much the same way they ground down Penn State yesterday in Happy Valley. Now, more on that game in a minute. Of the starting 11... Davison Igbenosan had probably the best night against Michigan State. He finished with the defense's second highest overall PFF grade of 80.5. He finished with the defense's highest grade for tackling of 81.1 and highest grade for coverage of 80.5. I think that might have been Igbenosan's best game as a Buckeye last night against the Spartans. I think Igbenosan is an underrated player for this defense. Now, I know he can get a little handsy in coverage at times, but he's never out of position. And he's not afraid to stick his face in a fan against the run. He's just the type of corner you need in the Big Ten against an opponent like Michigan that's going to run the ball. You've got to have reliable tacklers at the second level against a player like Blake Corum. And I also just love Igbenosan's swagger. So I uh, love what I saw to Igbenosan last night. I also like what I saw to Ty Hamilton. He played very well in 31 snaps. Hamilton finished with the defense's highest overall PFF grade of 82. He also finished with the highest grade for pass rush of 87.9. Those were Hamilton's two highest PFF grades of the season. And he finished the night with a team high four quarterback pressures. JT Tuimolowal also had four pressures. You know, it's hard to judge the performance of the defense against an opponent as overmatched as Michigan State. 
But, you know, down three key starters in Eichenberg, Proctor, and Ransom, there might have been a little funny business if the Buckeyes weren't focused. And that did not happen last night. And if you think about it, in some of these similar games, you know, last season, you would get one or two lapses that would result in a cheap score for the opponent. I mean, if you think about it, in Ohio State's 10th game last year, which was Indiana, that game was also played in the shoe. The high state defense gave up a 49-yard pass play and a 44-yard run in that game. We did not see anything like that last night, though it might have been very easy to lose focus with a 35-point halftime lead and with so many young players getting snaps in the second half last night. But that did not happen. The defense played to its standards, and that's all I wanted to see. Okay, I want to spend a few minutes on Michigan-Penn State. As I'm sure you're all well aware by now, the Big Ten suspended Jim Harbaugh for the remainder of the regular season for the impermissible advanced scouting and sign-stealing ring orchestrated by former staffer Connor Stallions. Harbaugh will not be permitted to be on the sidelines for the rest of Michigan's regular season games, though he is permitted to coach in practices during the week leading up to each game. Michigan has filed an injunction in the hopes that Harbaugh can get back on the sidelines for the game against the Buckeyes on November the 25th. We will see how that plays out. Now, Harbaugh was not on the sidelines yesterday against Penn State. Offensive coordinator Sharon Moore was elevated as head coach for that game. And predictably, it did not matter because as is well documented, James Franklin cannot coach his way out of a paper bag against top 10 opponents. And the Penn State offense, while not without talented players, is hot garbage. <laughs> Michigan wins it 24 to 15. Yes, 24 to 15 was the final. Uh, though Penn State had their opportunities, but failed at pretty much every single turn to capitalize on, on those opportunities. Untimely penalties, questionable play calling, no discernible plan for Drew Aller in the passing game. Katron Allen, who averaged six yards per carry in this game, was criminally underutilized. Only 12 carries for Allen. And a hyper-aggressive Penn State defense that did not account for cutback lanes allowed Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards to run right past them for explosive runs over and over again. J.J. McCarthy did not have to attempt a pass in the second half yesterday for Michigan to win this game. The Michigan offensive line was having trouble holding up in pass protection against the Penn State pass rush in the first half. So Sharon Moore shut down the passing game the rest of the way. J.J. McCarthy's last pass attempt of this game was at the 6-14 mark of the second quarter. And the Penn State defense was powerless to stop the, the Michigan rushing attack, even though the rushing attack is several notches below where it was a year ago. Last year, Michigan was fifth nationally in rushing offense at 239 yards per game. And even after yesterday's big output against Penn State, they're only 44th nationally this season at 173 yards per game. Their per carry average is also down almost a full yard from last year. In 2022, the Michigan rushing attack averaged 5.58 yards per carry, which was third nationally. This year, that average is all the way down at 4.62 yards per carry. That's 44th nationally. And yet the, the Penn State defense could not contain the Michigan rushing attack when it really mattered. The Michigan rushing attack went off yesterday to the tune of 227 yards on 46 carries, 4.9 yards per attempt. Give Michigan credit for a solid road win, but I thought 
this game was more about the complete ineptitude of James Franklin and Mike Yurcich to field a competent offense and the total lack of discipline from Manny Diaz's defense, which proved fatal for Penn State in this game. Michigan did not beat themselves. They took advantage of every single Penn State mistake, whether it was a coaching or player execution mistake. Give him credit. Blake Corum was good. 26 carries for 145 yards rushing. Uh, those were both season highs for Quorum, but 44 yards of that rushing total came on a play where Penn State failed to seal off the cutback lane. Quorum bounced it to the outside for the long run, and outside of that run, Quorum only averaged four yards a carry. J.J. McCarthy finished the day with eight pass attempts. As I said, he did not throw a pass after the six-minute mark of the second quarter. I mean, somehow that is being celebrated as some great accomplishment, but I think Sharon Moore did that out of necessity. I mean, and look, I understand the Penn State pass rush is good, but your offensive line has won the last two Joe Moore awards, and you're telling me you can't trust them in pass protection to, to the extent that you do not throw a pass in the second half? And and look, I mean, according to PFF, McCarthy was pressured on seven of those eight pass attempts. He was sacked once. He barely escaped a second sack but and nearly threw an interception on the play, throwing the ball just over the line of scrimmage as he was being pulled down. I mean, the ball was tipped by a Penn State linebacker, I think, on the play, very close to getting intercepted. And I actually would not be surprised if that was the throw that caused Sharon Moore to shut down the passing game the rest of the afternoon. And if you look back at the Purdue game uh, the previous week, the Boilermakers had 22 pressures on J.J. McCarthy. They sacked him three times. So it seems like there could be a little something in pass protection that the Ohio State defense might be able to exploit on November the 25th. We'll have a lot more to say about that in the coming weeks. So, you know, look, Michigan passes their first real test of the season. In the post game, there were crocodile tears from Sharon Moore, who acted like he just coached Team USA to a win over the Russians in the 1980 gold medal game. <laughs> there was a tweet from David Eubin of The Athletic that I thought really captured the moment perfectly. Eubin said, quote, Credit Michigan for persevering through the adversity of facing consequences for brazenly breaking a well known rule for multiple seasons, end quote. <laughs> You know, look, Michigan is trying to manufacture some adversity out of this whole situation, and I just think it's pathetic. I would be embarrassed if I were a Michigan fan. So where do we think Ohio State lands in Tuesday's new playoff rankings? Don't be surprised to see Ohio State vaulted by Georgia, who blew out the Penn State of the South, Old Miss, 52 to 17. The Rebels were a top 10 win. And if you could see me right now, I'm using air quotes when I say top 10 win for Georgia. And look, that's fine by me. Put Georgia at number one, even though the Buckeyes look dominant and every bit the part of a number one team, albeit against a lousy Michigan State team. I do think the Bulldogs will be your new number one. Michigan could potentially vault the Buckeyes as well into the number two spot. They were impressive beating Penn State, but look, Ohio State has that same win on their resume. They were just as dominant against Penn State, and they still own a road win at top 20 Notre Dame. Uh, Michigan does not have another win on their resume that compares to that. So I have a feeling the committee probably keeps the Buckeyes ahead of Michigan at number two. I think Michigan holds at three. And I wonder if Washington might have done enough after beating a top 20 Utah team to jump Florida State, who struggled at home with unranked 
Miami uh, to move into the number four spot. So I, I, th- I think Washington might very well move into the number four spot, leapfrogging Florida State, but we'll see. Okay, that's going to do it for me. Look for a preview of Ohio State's next opponent, the Minnesota Golden Gophers, from Paige, Chad, and myself this coming Thursday. Until then, thanks so much for listening, and go Bucks. You've been listening to The South Stands, a Buckeye football podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook and visit our website at southstandsosu.com.